Jacob's well. And even, even in Jesus' time, uh, Jacob's well was a historic place, and it had a great significance to both the Jews and the Samaritans. And after Jesus confronts the woman with her sin, you know, living with one man after another, uh, she tries to redirect the conversation and, and points to another important place, you know, the mountain uh, next to them, Mount Gerizim. And she points to the mountain and she says to Jesus, our Samaritan fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, we'll get back to that conversation, but where Jesus and the Samaritan are standing is the same valley, the same place where uh, Joshua uh, brought the people to renew the covenant after the victory at Ai, uh, a place called Shechem. Now, uh, Rich was talking about Bible pronunciation uh, names in, in um, Sunday school, and there was like five different ways to pronounce this too, Shechem. That's what I settled on, Shechem. And uh, so a few weeks ago, we, uh, as a church, we were in the same valley, uh, so to speak, from uh, Joshua 8, uh, verses 30 through 35. And that's where we'll be today, Joshua 8, 30 through 35. And, and this morning, we're going to go back there again, as you see up in the screen. That's the uh, valley between uh, Mounts Ebal and uh, Gerizim. So that Sunday, you know, way, way back in October, um, we uh, focused on the book of the law and how it was copied and it was presented uh, before the people. And we also talked about how they recited and, and we recited. Wasn't that fun? Uh, we, we recited across the valley uh, the blessings and the curses of the covenant, you know, which, of course, when boiled down, uh, it amounts to blessings for obedience and curse for disobedience. We were also reminded that obedience is expected from the people because they had already been blessed. God had already blessed the people by saving them from uh, bondage in Egypt. And, and even with their disobedience and grumbling, God in His grace, He sustained the people through the wilderness uh, for a whole generation. And then God blessed the people with a new leader in Joshua after the death of Moses. And then God brought Joshua and the people across the River Jordan, and after that to the victories at Jericho and Ai. So again, uh, the principle is that God saved the people first, and then He asked for their obedience. As we said a few weeks ago, grace came first, and so it is with us. God saves us first, and then He expects us to live lives of joyful and grateful obedience to his word. So now Joshua brings the people to the valley to worship the Lord, their God, to renew the covenant in obedience to the command of Moses uh, just before Moses died uh, in Deuteronomy 27. So I'll read, I'll read the passage again. Joshua 8, 30-35. At that time, uh, after the victory at Ai, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord 
and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the Law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judge, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first, to bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Praise God for his word. So the location, the valley, where the covenant renewal uh, ceremony was conducted, it wasn't this random choice. Uh, uh, Joshua didn't just say to the million people, you know, hey, we need to go find a convenient place where we can have this huge uh, worship service. So you know, l- l- let's go this way and, and see what we can find. It, it wasn't like that. They very deliberately headed north to this uh, very special place. The valley between the two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, was a place that every Israelite knew. Even if they had never been there before, they knew about this place. And of course, we, it's called Shechem. And Shechem was where Abraham first received the promise of the Holy Land some 600 years before, after God had led them there in Genesis 12. And then he set up an altar there. And it was to Shechem that Jacob had returned uh, safely uh, from his long exile from the, uh, from the land. And Jacob also set up an altar there. And it became uh, Jacob's family home. And of course, he, he dug the well there. Joseph is, um, tradition has that Joseph was buried there. So you see that this place has a long association uh, with the Lord's promise to give Canaan to Israel for its inheritance. And it was a place closely associated with God's covenant. So long before uh, Shiloh became the location of the tabernacle and the ark, and then uh, long before Jerusalem uh, became the capital of the nation, Shechem was the city that meant, was synonymous with uh, promised land. Uh, to any Israelite. And then, of course, on top of all that, um, that, that area in this valley had strategic and symbolic uh, location because it's located right in the heart of the Promised Land. Uh, some say from the uh, summit of Mount Abal, you can see uh, 360 degrees, you know, the entire uh, Promised Land. So it was a a significant place, uh, even for the Samaritans. So uh, I'm emphasizing the significance because you, you can just imagine the excitement of the people as they start to head north you know, to the valley between these two mountains. And, and as they drew closer and closer, they, they probably talked about you know, what this place is going to be like. They, they might have wondered if Abraham's altar was still there 
or, or, or even Jacob's altar. And, and I imagine everybody wanted to get a drink from uh, Jacob's well. You know, I know I would have. And they, they finally come to the valley and they begin to assemble on, on the, the sides of the two mountains while Joshua and the priests set up the altar. And, and you can just sense the excitement. And, and Joshua copies the law on the plaster-covered stones for all to see, man, woman, child, the sojourners. They're all there for this, this huge uh, ceremony, this huge worship occasion. You know, there, there's no huge stage. You know, there's no towers of amped speakers. There's no giant video screens. There's no laser light show. It's just the, the natural uh, landscape uh, of the valley that, that created this, uh, this amphitheater uh, between the two mountains. So Joshua makes the altar to the Lord according to Moses' instructions. He says, uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. From verse 31. So most experts agree that the reason for the uncut stones was to distinguish this altar from the pagan altars, which you know, typically had elaborate and, and even uh, erotic shapes and carvings on them. And uh, so Joseph has the altar made, and then they prepare for the altar offerings. So the, the burnt offering, uh, as you might recall, what was the offering in which the sacrificial animal what was entirely consumed uh, by fire on the altar. The scripture says it would produce an aroma that was pleasing to the Lord. And as a way of indicating that an effective atonement uh, was made uh, for the people's sins. So one of the purposes of this uh, ceremony in this valley near Shechem was to atone for Israel's sins. Uh, the burnt offering was the sin offering. And then the peace or fellowship offering, on the other hand, was a sacrifice in which a, a portion of the animal was left out. So after the meat uh, was cooked, it was eaten as, as part of a feast. And, and the, the idea was to convey to Israel a sense of, of joy, a sense of well-being uh, in their relationship with, the God, with God. So it's a, the, the order of this is important because after the sin offering came the peace offering. Because it, there couldn't be a peace offering unless there was a sin, uh, unless sin was atoned for, which makes sense, right? You know, sin needs to be atoned for, and then uh, the peace with God could be recognized. So in the instructions that Moses had left for this ceremony, he made a point of telling the people that they were to eat there as part of the ceremony and to rejoice. He said to rejoice before the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy 27. So, so the sacrifices, they, they point to forgiveness of sin and, and renewed fellowship. That's the peace with God. And there was much rejoicing by the people. And in the same way, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of both the, the forgiveness we have in Christ and, and also the fellowship we share with Christ and with one another. And th there should be much rejoicing. A as believers, we've received 
this, this great gift, this great gift of salvation. And there should be much rejoicing. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. So as the Samaritan woman uh, uh, talks to Jesus, he little by little reveals to her who he is, the Messiah. And, and she's all mixed up. She doesn't know who to worship. She doesn't know where to worship. She doesn't know how to worship. She's probably tired of this whole religion thing. But Jesus gives her an unexpected gift. He gives her the greatest gift of all, which is himself. And Jesus says, in essence, he says, soon there'll be no more need for sacrifices, as he will be the sacrifice for the people. And soon there'll be no, no more need to worship at the temple in Jerusalem or even on the mountain. Because God will be worshipped anywhere and anytime as believers will be indwelled with His Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and when Jesus talks about worshiping the Father and Spirit and, and truth, she, she probably doesn't understand anything He's talking about. But she understands the most important thing that she is face to face with the Messiah and that the Messiah that she somehow knows has come. And she understands that he has opened her heart and revealed himself to her as the Messiah, as her Savior. And unlike anyone else before in her whole life, Jesus loves her and offers her forgiveness. And she rejoices. Her, her testimony is simple. Knowing, knowing the answer, she runs to town and, and asks in astonishment, could he possibly be the Messiah? And, and they come to see Jesus and he stays in the, the village two days and, and the, the people believe for themselves because of his word. It says, they said to the woman, now we believe. Not just because of what you told us, but because, of, because we have heard Him ourselves. Now we know that He is indeed the Savior of the world. And they rejoice. And, and when, when we go back to Joshua and the people at Shechem in the valley between the mountains, and, and they present their sin offerings, which are followed by the peace offerings, and they share a meal together, and they read God's Word, and as Moses encourages they rejoice before their God. It's hard not to think about our own little covenant renewal ceremony that we call the Lord's Table or, or Communion Sunday. When we partake of the bread and juice together as a body, as, as Jesus instructed for our remembrance, we're essentially recommitting ourselves to the new covenant in Jesus Christ. We commit to gathering to worship. We come to this place, we gather with the people of God as the family of God and in the presence of God. As Hebrews 10.24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet with one together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And then 
we commit to the sacrifice, the one sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus. When we're here, we admit that we're sinful, that you sinned this week, that you sinned today. I know I have. We stop trying to be perfect and work for God's acceptance by pretending to be perfect. And instead, we admit our imperfections and accept Christ's sacrifice. We lay our lives on the altar as a sacrifice, knowing that Jesus gives us His life. And we commit to offerings. We not only confess that God gave us the most we could ever have in our lives, we respond by offering Him back what we have. Your obedience, your gospel work, your service to the body, your, your use of gifts to edify the church, your tithes and offerings, sure, and even, even our bodies are offered uh, back to the Lord, uh, to be laid on the altar before Christ. You know, not to be motivated by guilt or, or, or the need for acceptance, but motivated by the fact that God loves us and, and has, has reconciled himself to us. He's made peace. By his grace, we've been reconciled to him. I, I came across this, um, this verse. Uh, it's familiar. Uh, it, it, obedience is for our joy. Um, John 15, 10 to 11 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This joy found in obedience. And finally, of course, we commit to God's word. Uh, more than anything, we, we commit to God's Word. As a church, we commit to the preaching of His Word boldly, publicly, without compromise, uh, to you, to your children, and to the community. Like the Samaritan woman running back to town to tell others about this Messiah and the great salvation we have through Him. And we study His Word. Uh, we meditate on His Word and we memorize this word that we can carry it with us you know, wherever we go. And again, like the Samaritan woman, we share his word, promises and warnings as a means of grace with others. And then, of course, we teach. We teach those who we care about, who we love. We teach them his word. And then we never stop. We never stop until we meet the word the living word, Jesus Christ himself, face to face. Amen? Amen.